just learn to work harder on yourself than you do on your job. And this is by Jim Rohn. And the idea is if you work hard on your job, you'll make a living and that's fine. But if you work harder on yourself, you'll make a fortune. Hi, you're listening to Ready to Scale, the second season of That Really Happened. This season is focused on APS of real estate, asset, process, and strategy. Each guest on the show will reveal the assets they invest in and why they chose to do so. From multifamily to industrial, self-storage, mobile home parks, and more. Then, they'll uncover the processes, tools, and systems they've used to build multi-million dollar businesses. And finally, they'll uncover new, unique, and exciting strategies to invest in real estate. From co-working to buy and hold, fix and flips, co-living, and much, much more. Now let's get the show started. Hey guys, welcome to Ready to Scale. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host broadcasting from sunny California. When I'm not behind the mic, I buy multifamily properties with investors who partner with me on my deals. So if you enjoy the podcast, please take a minute to rate us on iTunes. I would highly, highly appreciate it. You know, my team and I are working very hard on this podcast and your review and rating mean the world to us. Thank you so much. All right, let's get started. I'm speaking today with Brett Swartz. Brett is the founder of Capital Gains Tax Solutions. He works with high net worth clients to solve capital gains tax deferral limitations. So his experience includes, among others, deferral sales trusts and 1031 exchanges. Now, I know what you think. I know what 1031 exchange is, but what is the Ford Sales Trust? And we're going to talk about that in the show. So Brett is an active commercial real estate broker and the owner of you know multifamily properties, senior housing, retail, medical office, and mixed-use properties. And with that, I would like to welcome Brett to the show. Hey, Brett, how are you today? Hey, Ellie, I'm doing just fine. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to add value to you and your clients and your partners and your listeners. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Brett, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and how you got started investing in real estate? Yeah, you know, originally growing up in the Bay Area, mentioned San Jose, Fremont, kind of Silicon Valley. I learned the sticks and bricks of real estate at a young age. My dad was a real estate developer, owner, and contractor building big homes in the Mission Hills area. So I fell in love with rentals and cash flow and being an entrepreneur and learned how to really work hard. And from there, I went to school and I studied business as well as Bible and theology and a minor in counseling psychology. But I took an internship at a company called Marcus and Millichap, where we help people uh, buy and sell multifamily properties mainly. And that was my focus and niche, you know, but it wasn't always easy. You know, it was 2006 and, and things were going pretty well. And I was brand new in the business, just trying to make it, trying to survive. And my wife's at home and our first baby's on the way. And, and so we just started to get some momentum. And for those who don't know, in real estate brokerage, it's 100% sink or swim. No salary, no benefits. My dad had a lot of wealth. But my mom didn't. Parents were divorced when I was young. And I always knew that I didn't want finances to be any kind of struggle. And I wanted to be the dad to be able to provide for the family. And I want to take that pressure off the table. And so I wanted to make it big in real estate. And I was determined to succeed. And just as I started to get some momentum, the 2008 crash hit. 
and it felt like a brick wall. And for your listeners who have ever been so scared and you're not sure what you're going to do to support your family or how you're going to make it, but you knew you had a dream and you wanted to keep it alive, what do you do? Well, you do what every good entrepreneur does and you get a side job. So I worked at the side job, Cheesecake Factory is my wife and I's favorite restaurant. And I worked there nights and weekends. And by day, I would make real estate calls and try to help my clients who are losing their properties to banks, who are trying to reassess taxes with the city and counties, and who are trying to hold on to these tenants who were all of a sudden didn't have jobs, right? And so with all of that, we were going through these two struggles, me, new dad, trying to survive in the business, loving it, clients, you know, losing half their wealth or losing all of their wealth. And I hit a brick wall. And I was at the kind of the bottom of this and I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to keep going. And then my manager at the time brought in a gentleman to speak on the deferred sales trust. And I sat there, like a lot of your listeners are probably sitting there right now thinking, what is this deferred sales trust? Is this a Delaware statutory trust? No. Is it a 1031? No. And he went on to tell us how this strategy could have helped and could have saved people millions of dollars in capital gains tax and helped them to never have to feel trapped by a 1031 exchange ever again. And it, it was like a light bulb went off in my head. I said, everything is changing from this point if what he's saying is true. And so I was very skeptical and I just asked questions and I started to learn. And then I started to test by sending referrals. And then I started to test by becoming a client myself with them managing my money. They were financial advisors by trade. We were more commercial real estate people. So we were already kind of, you know, not as excited about the stock market side of things. But the more I learned, the more I found out that, oh my gosh, this could have saved all of my clients. And all of a sudden I started to roll this out to my clients. My business grew. And five years later, my wife and I have five kids here in Northern California. I've been able to succeed as a commercial real estate broker. But more than that, I've shifted to helping other commercial real estate brokers, high-end realtors, financial advisors, and commercial real estate syndicators, and be empowered with this strategy so their clients never have to face being forced by a 1031 exchange to overpay for a property or just defer taxes on the sale of a primary home, Bitcoin, publicly traded stock, carried interest using this deferred sales trust strategy. Interesting. And you know, what year was it that you did your first real estate deal? Yeah. So the first one, I guess it would be what, 2007? Interesting year <laughs> to start investing in real estate. Yeah, to start for sure. It was it was just before, you know, it was kind of earlier in 2007 and before things really got intense with the crash. But yeah, that was the first year. So let's talk a little bit about assets. And I know you have good experience as an owner of multiple asset classes. Do you think that there's one asset class that is better for capital gains tax deferrals or one asset class that is positioned better than others to basically take advantage of all the tax benefits that are out there today? Yeah, regarding tax benefits, let me start with this. I'm a big multifamily mobile home park and senior housing assisted living. Those are the three asset classes that I really focus on now. Although I have holdings and other things, I've really, you know, with the demographics and the shift and everything else that's moving, I think those are the best three risk adjusted rate of return opportunities for any investment class anywhere, especially within the United States. That's our focus. Now, I live in California, so prices have been very high for a long time. And so I am also, you also have to clarify what location you're going into and, and look at emerging markets and places that are a little more landlord friendly and business friendly. And so certainly moving stuff outside up with my clients and myself to other states. Now, as far as the actual capital gains tax deferral, you know, if you bought something low and you're selling it high, 
you have capital gains tax deferral somewhere between you, you should, and you're going to have a gain that's going to be taxed at 30 to 50%. So I guess you could make the argument, well, stuff that actually is tangible, right? And that has a lot of value that you can add to it, such as multifamily or senior housing or, or even mobile home parks. But regardless, if you have a gain I like to defer it all. I like to keep it working for you. And I like to create and preserve more wealth using the Deferred Sales Trust or a 1031 exchange or an opportunity zone. The question becomes, what's the best one for the client and their circumstance? Yeah, and that's a good segue to the strategy portion of the interview today. You've mentioned, you know, DSTs, Deferred Sales Trusts. What is it exactly? How different is it from a 1031 exchange. And maybe a few words about that. Maybe you can talk a little bit about the 1031 exchange first and then the DSTs and the difference between them because a lot of investors are familiar with 1031 exchange, maybe in a high level, but DSTs, you know, it's something that you don't hear every day. Great question. And I'm going to center it around an actual deal that we just closed recently in Georgia. It was a 128 unit multifamily property for a gentleman who lives in Northern California and has bought and sold 30 years of properties, uh, hundreds of properties, numerous 1031 exchanges. He's a commercial real estate multifamily expert and he's a baby boomer, right? And he's a part of the largest wealth transfer in the history of the planet. And this is according to the American Bankers Association. There's about 17 to $20 trillion that's going to pass from one generation to the next in the next 20 years. In fact, in the US, there's about 77 million baby boomers, and every day about 10,000 of them are turning 65. And what are they challenged with? Well, they're challenged with the toilets, the trash, the liability, the debt, right? The lack of liquidity, having to manage property themselves, having to deal with the banks, and they're ready to enjoy their wealth and be retired from this. But if they sell, they're going to get hit with the 30 to 50% in capital gains tax. And so I want you to picture Dave. He's, he's looking at a property, and this is pre-COVID, and he's looking in North Carolina, and it's a 45 to 5% cap rate market. Rents are already pretty up. There's not a lot of value add or meat on the bone for the deal that he's looking at. He's passed his 45 days. He already knows it's a seller's market. We've known it's been a seller's market for for years now, the last couple of years, but he's still optimistic he can maybe find a deal, but he can't find a deal. He's not finding a deal. And then COVID-19 hits. And so what does he do? He calls me up. He says, Brett, I'm glad I met with you a year ago because I'm going to use a deferred sales trust. I'm all in. I'm not touching real estate for six, 12, maybe even 24 months because I've seen this song before. You know, I saw it in 08. Not that I think it's going to be as bad as 08 and neither do we, but he goes, I just don't want to risk it. I don't want to take on a bunch of debt. He goes, you see, Brett, I sold my property for 7.6 million and at 1031, you have to buy for equal or greater value, which is the first biggest challenge for me. And that I already think this, the prices are up. So it's a seller's market. So I don't want to sell high and buy higher 180 days later. I want to do what my, my mom and dad taught me to do, which was sell high and buy low whenever that deal comes up. And so that's the first big distinction between the 1031 exchange and the deferred sales trust. The 1031 exchange is like the old blockbuster. I don't know if you remember Ellie going to blockbuster on a Friday night and you're excited to find a movie and you're hoping it's there and you get in the blockbuster and it's there. You can see it behind the little cardboard box. And so you're walking over to grab that movie and, and your weekend's going to be great. You're excited. You got the new movie. But then some Somebody just two steps before you steps in front of you and grabs that movie and now you don't have your movie right but even if you got that movie and you're excited you have three days to return it and if you don't rewind you're gonna hit with a fee well that's like the 1031 it's very restrictive well there's a new thing it's called Netflix and guess what there's no timing restrictions 
right? The movie's never sold out. Are there some ongoing monthly fees? Yeah, there are, right? So same with the deferred sales trust. But one of them allows you to trade real estate within 45 days. You have to identify in 180 days to close. The other one, you can buy whenever you want, which leads into a, a deal that actually closed in 06. This is before my deferred sales trust time for my business partner. Is in Minnesota, this gentleman's worth a couple hundred million dollars and he sold a $20 million asset. And he looked around and he said, there's no deals that make any sense right now. So I'm not going to do a 1031. So he did a deferred sales trust for the first time, deferred all the tax, parked the money into the trust. Five years later, that same property that he sold was foreclosed on. And guess who the bank called? They called him and they said, hey, you know that property you sold? Yeah. He goes, well, we just foreclosed on it. The buyer didn't make it, but would you like to buy it back? He goes, maybe. What's the price? And they said, well, 60 cents on the dollar, about 40% less than what you paid for it. And so he said, yeah, that sounds like a good deal. So he bought it back through his trust at 60 cents on the dollar, not using the 1031. What did he do? He did the Netflix, right? He didn't do the Blockbuster. And so some people say, well, that's too good to be true. Why didn't my commercial real estate broker tell me about it? You know, well, I should know about this, but they just don't. And neither did a lot of people before they heard about it with us. So the best thing about the Deferred Sales Trust is you can sell high and buy whenever you want to. Number two is diversification. We believe right now it's one of the best times to diversify because of the uncertainty in the marketplace. So diversification is your friend. And so you're able to sell a highly appreciated asset and move it into multiple asset types. You could put it into stocks, bonds, mutual funds. So unlike a 1031 exchange, which has to be equal or greater value and also in the same asset class, we don't have to do that because we're not using section 1031. We're using IRC section 453, which is known as an installment sale. Okay. And so you guys know it as a seller carry back and your listeners probably know it as that, but we do it a specialized installment sale. And when we do it in this way, it's like we're swimming in a blue ocean, right? Where there's no blood in the water. The blood in the water is for people chasing low inventory, highly appreciated property at very low interest rates to borrow from. And everyone's chasing that same deal and it's all getting bid up. We like to say, no, 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 don't do that. Just come swim in this blue ocean over here, diversify for a while, keep your money parked on the sidelines and then buy when it makes sense for you, which leads into the third reason why you do a deferred sales trust. And that's what's called a new depreciation schedule. So a lot of your listeners, if they own multifamily for 27 and a half years, guess what? They're fully depreciated. Or if they've done some cost segregation, they're also lower depreciation. Well, if you do a 1031 exchange, that depreciation schedule travels which is not good, right? Because you don't have as much to offset. So the intent is to get more depreciation. The challenge is the 1031 doesn't allow it. The best way to do is the deferred sales trust. You can get a brand new depreciation schedule, which is also amazing. So adding just one of these things makes it make sense. Adding them all together makes what's called a transformational exit planning for our clients. And you just have to get to know us and understand how it works. And once you do, you'll be empowered. That's very interesting. So basically what you're saying is with DSTs, you can park your money and you don't have 45 days to identify the new deal and then 180 days to close. And you don't have to reinvest that money like in the same type of investment or asset class. What are the disadvantages of DSTs? Because it does sound too good to be true. And then the other question that I have is, let's say it sits there for three years can you invest it in the meantime so your money grows at least a little bit? Because there's also the opportunity cost of, you know, hoarding cash and not deploying it and not letting the money grow, you know, at a certain rate, at least maybe a minimal rate. But just for me, just having the money sit for five years, not making any money doesn't make, you know, much sense. 
Great question. Let me start with the latter question, then work back to the former. So yeah, well, most of our clients, they'll invest it in conservative investment grade securities in some of the top companies in the world, Netflix, Apple, Costco, and Home Depot, and they'll keep it in a preservation mode, right? And, and we actually use a company and that company is one of the top money managers in, in the US. And in 2008, they, and when the market was down 37 to 40%, they were only down four and a half percent. I don't know if you ever saw the movie, The Big Short. Of course. Love it. Yeah, it's one of the best books too. If you haven't read the book, it's even better than the movie. What they did was they shorted the market, right? They basically said like the mortgage-backed securities is gonna blow up. I'm gonna buy these put options so that when it does crash, we're gonna make all this money. And so that's what one of the groups we work with does. And so so when most people are down 37 to 40%, they're only down four and a half percent because they hedge and they protect. Now in the next year, they're up 25%. Now this isn't a guarantee for what I'm saying here. Don't, don't get me wrong, but I'm just telling you that we can construct and we can build build a conservative portfolio of liquid investments to preserve your wealth and achieve a reasonable rate of return. What's that? It could be 5%, it could be 8 it could be 10 over any 10-year period of time. And so we don't advise people just to put it into a bank and make you know 0%. We encourage them to invest it, but it's always with their approval and it's always based upon their risk tolerance. But the idea is taking this you know wealth of cre- creation mode more to a preservation. You know, Get out of debt. That's the other thing too with the 1031 you have to do equal or greater value, which means you have to take on equal or greater debt on the next property. Don't get in debt right now. Get out of debt right now. Get on the sidelines. Get your, get your money a liquid, diversified. Get it your powder dry. Park it here. Make a reasonable rate of return that's safe. You can also put it into bonds. You can put it into treasury bills. You can put it in very low stuff too. And then when the market shifts, when that $10 million asset that you know was let's say it was 100 units now it's 85,000 units 8.5 million but it took a year and a half for it to get there now you strike and you buy that deal with your deferred sales trust again all tax deferred so that's the thought with that and your former question is about too good to be true we just say look at our track record right 25 years, thousands of closes. The biggest deal was 125 million. We just closed five deals last month, 400 million total with with all of our collective partners across the US. These deals are closing and it's happening. Now it's proprietary, it is protected. We do have strategic alliances across the US, financial advisors. We work with title companies who've done deals with Marcus Amilichap, Keller Williams, you know, QI companies. It's just, we don't give our secrets away. So it's proprietary, it is protected. And we also, the tax attorneys provide what's called audit defense, which means for the life of the trust, they will protect you. They've survived 15 no-change IRS audits. They're not any pending investigations. It's never been on a watch list. So you add up all the evidence and then you make your decision. But realize, Ellie, your commercial real estate broker doesn't want you to know. And neither does the 1031 exchange companies. Why? Because they don't get paid on the deferred sales trust. They get paid when you go to Blockbuster, right? And you pay those fees and you get the rental charges, right? Or on the Netflix, they don't get paid because they don't provide Netflix. Yeah, they want you to call them and say, hey, I have 45 days to identify the next deal. Find me one ASAP because, you know, I don't want to pay the IRS $4 million, $5 million. And so it actually creates that sense of urgency. And I think it's actually better for everyone in the market because we are sometimes getting overbid by 1031 exchange holders. You know, they're okay getting 10% IRR and I have a price that will help me, you know, at least hit 13, 14% IRR, but they don't mind, you know, getting a lower income in, you know, in the long term because they don't want to pay that, you know, millions of dollars to the IRS. So I think in general, it's, it's good to the market. 
Yeah, you nailed it, right? So I'm a commercial real estate broker here in Sacramento, multifamily, and I've sold nearly $100 million of real estate. And we just recently did a deal for a client. We sold his property for $270,000 per unit. Flat roofs, one, two, and three bedroom. Average rent's $1,400. There's a 1031 buyer, all cash. He's calling us in a panic. He's got three days to identify. Can you deliver? Can you deliver? I'm like, if you can deliver at the list price, we can deliver. And it's exactly what he did. He was represented by another broker and they bought it full price. Now flip on that. The client is now in a 1031 and he's looking at deals and I'm a broker. And I'm like, Hey, look, if you want to do a 1031, I will represent you. We'll go blockbuster. I'll make a big fee. I'm not opposed to that, but there is a Netflix. So just keep that in mind. I don't want you to overpay. So we're looking at a deal. It's a $4.3 million. It's 21 units. It's part of his plan. He had bought seven. He's going to trade for 14 or 21 and move up. His family owns $30 million of real estate in Napa, multifamily. He's grown up in the business. His parents were realtors. So real estate is like a religion in that and its doctrine is 1031. And I love commercial real estate. I'm like a part of that religion, right? I love it. But most people only know this one doctrine and they just stick to it. Like that's the only thing there is. So he's kind of in that mode and, and he's going, and I'm just giving him the options. He underwrites the property and he's like, Brett, this is like a 4.3 cap. This is like a three, you know, 3.5% cash on cash or maybe four. If everything goes right, he's like, this doesn't make any sense. And, and he goes, and then all of a sudden his own partner backed out of the deal. His, his partner's family had an emergency. He had to pull his cash. And now he doesn't even have a down payment. So he's like, oh my gosh, Brett, what am I going to do? He's like, tell me about that deferred sales trust again. And this is pre-COVID. This is in December. And so he, for the first time in his family history, used a deferred sales trust. His name is Steve. And he is so happy he did right? He's looking at everything. He's going, oh my gosh, the rent control, the evictions potentially happening. And I would have overpaid. He goes, now we can take and we can put them out of state into real estate developments with syndicators like yourself, Ellie, or other ones that are listening. And he can get probably six, nine, maybe even 12% on his money, have none of the headaches, none of the toilets, none of the trash, none of the debt in his name. And he can put in small amounts with different syndicators. So he can diversify different parts of the U.S., different mobile home parks, senior housing, multifamily. He's not just trading a single asset and all of the pressures on him for another single asset in the same city. And that I can't emphasize enough. There's a lot of baby boomers that are ready to retire and want diversification, want liquidity, and want to be able to go with proven track records. And But they just don't know how to get there. And they just pay the tax. And then they so a lot of them just won't even sell because of the tax. That's very interesting. I think it's, you know, it's the first time that I'm hearing about it. And and I'm sure that for listeners, you know, that's the first time that they hear about it. So that was very interesting to hear. My last question to you is actually about the process. How does the process work? How long does it take? Obviously, we understand the timeline for 1031 exchange. You know, you have 45 days to identify the next investment and 180 days to close. How does it look like if you're going with the DST, you know, choosing that route? Okay, so let's, let's clarify two product types. The first one is a 1031 exchange that only qualifies or investment properties are basically the only thing that works for 1031. But a business, a primary home, public or private stock, a private practice, a dentist, a veterinarian, Bitcoin, okay, all of those deferred sales trust works for the 1031 does not okay so let's focus on the first one the 1031 so we need to set this up before close of escrow or we need to be working with a qualified intermediary it's a 1031 company who will allow both options hear me right here most 
not all 1031 companies either A, want you to know about this or B, are comfortable with it. So they will not allow you to do it. And so we're doing a deal out of Texas, a $14 million sale. And he went with an exchange company that at first said no. And he's like, well, I'll never use you again if you don't give me this option. And it happened so fast when he learned about it. And they're going, no. And so he's going, fine. My next one is a $15 million sale. I'm not using you for that. And so he's not going to. He's not going to use them ever again. So that's the first thing. Make sure you get with us early and make sure we're connecting with the strategic alliances and you're getting connected with an exchange company who will give you both options. Now, that being said, on day 45, if you haven't identified anything, you can default into the Deferred Sales Trust. So that deal in Georgia, we saved his failed 1031 exchange. Okay. It was past his identification period. You don't have to identify the deferred sales trust as one of your properties because it's not a property. It's just a strategy. It's just an installment sale. So the funds moved into the trust. So that's the first one. Now, if you're selling a primary home, we just did a deal in Cupertino for 3.1 million. It doesn't qualify for a 1031, but it does qualify for a deferred sales trust. So we need to do it before close of escrow and we need to set the language in there before the buyer removes all contingencies. So get with us early. Here's the cool thing though. We don't charge anything, Ellie, unless and if you do the deal, okay? And you're not obligated to do the deal, but we need to get everything set up beforehand, okay? And so we're closing a deal in Palo Alto in about two weeks. It's an $8 million sale for a primary homeowner, and we're going to help him defer a lot of money. And so just get with us early. And But if you've already sold something, then we would point you to an opportunity zone, right? As a potential if it's within 180 days. Otherwise, that's about all the options that we know of right now. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Brett. That was, you know, I'm definitely smarter than I was 30 minutes ago. So I appreciate that. So we, we have arrived to the lightning round questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So Brett, what's your favorite hobby? Oh, playing basketball. So I grew up playing basketball in high school and in college on scholarship. And if I could play it for the rest of my life every day, if I didn't have five kids in the businesses, I would and my <laughs> knees would hold up. But one day my goal is to coach college or high school basketball and then coach my daughters and my son. So basketball, hands down. All right. All right. Interesting. What's the one thing that people don't know about you? Most people don't know I have five kids until I tell them. They're like, wait, how old are you? I'm like, I'm 37, you know? Wow. So we have four daughters and then one son. So I would say that's probably the biggest thing that people don't know about me. It's just how big our family is already. My wife's the rock star. We homeschool our kids, so we stay very busy. So I guess those would be the two things, homeschool and the five kids. Wow, that's insane. I mean, in a good way. It's been great listening to your story and how you started and understanding what DSTs are versus 1031 exchanges. But what do you wish you had known when you just started investing? Yeah, when I just started investing, just it's a team sport, right? Just knowing mm -hmm. your strengths for what you bring to the table for either partnerships that you're partnering with other folks or even, even as a broker, you know, realizing that you don't have to do it all alone, right? And as a team, you know, you're actually going to be more productive and you're going to balance each other's out for the weaknesses that someone else might have. And that's okay, right? So understanding your role, understanding your strength, and then just pouring into that, right? And just putting fire on that, not trying to just work on your weaknesses per se, right? You got to manage those, but more so find the who to bring that there. That'd be the first one. The second one would be just learn to work harder on yourself than you do on your job. And this is by Jim Rohn. And the idea is if you work hard on your job, you'll make a living and that's fine. But if you work harder on yourself, you'll make a fortune. And I wish I would have learned that and 
high school, right? I didn't learn that until like college. And it's the idea of growing your leadership, growing your character, you know, growing your spiritual walk, growing with your family, your friends, and your relationships, growing in your, your financial intelligence, right? Your real estate intelligence. All of these things are the major areas of your life. And if you can focus on growing those, everything else will take care of itself, right? And I just, you know, growing up in the traditional public school environment, it wasn't that. It wasn't talking about leadership. It wasn't talking about, you know, spiritual development. I did get that at church, but it wasn't talking about financial intelligence, all the things that I'm just like, oh my gosh, I wish I would have known about earlier. And so that's part of why we homeschool too. So we can instill our values and, and teach all of those amazing things that fire me up and really, really bring more to your family and your community, because those are always the things that are going to be, be more valuable is who you become, not what you get. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I, I think that the education system is good, but I think that it, it can be better, especially when it comes to things like entrepreneurship and financial, you know, education. I really feel that this is lacking and it took me, you know, 30 years to understand that some of it is actually, you know, that I'm lacking a lot of this very, very fundamental education. So I think it's amazing if you guys are teaching your kids. I wish my parents taught me this, but you know, you also need to have that education to pass it along. But yeah, I, I think it's great that you do that. And most kids just don't get that, you know, level of, of education, which is amazing. Well, Brett, thank you so much for your time today. If people want to reach out to you and ask you about, you know, how they can defer their capital gains tax and, and doing deferred sales trusts, how can they reach you? Yeah. So if you're selling a high-end primary home, a private practice, business, Bitcoin, real estate, anything that's highly appreciated, go to capitalgainstaxsolutions.com. Now, if you're a business professional, we also want to empower you too. If you're a commercial real estate syndicator, operator, broker, high-end luxury realtor, financial advisor, you can go to experttaxsecrets.com. We have a whole coaching program on how you can use the Deferred Sales Trust to explode your business, to fight automation, and to bring massive value to your clients right now. You you just have to get empowered with the strategy. And so go to experttaxsecrets.com for that one. All right. Awesome. Brett, thank you so much again for your time. You know, I'm definitely more knowledgeable than I was before. And I, I love knowledge and I think knowledge is power. So that's definitely, you know, one of those cases. And yeah, you know, that that's it. That's all that we have today. To the listeners, you know, I hope that you are also smarter, you know, than you were 30 minutes ago, just like me. And I hope that was valuable to you. Be bold, be great and keep moving forward. And I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.